important living or what we call good living. Living that draws you closer to the Lord, not living that takes you farther from God. Now, I will, I'm going to eventually get to Luke chapter 16 this morning. Now, I'm going to spend a little time in 1 Timothy chapter 1 myself for the introduction. And uh, I want to, you know, I've prayed about how, how do I uh, start this message. And uh, uh, I'm, going to stay, I'm going to springboard out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, we've been preaching out of 2 Timothy. And uh, we've been preaching on that phrase, sound doctrine, because he said in the church, in the last days, there would come a time when people would not endure sound doctrine. And we're definitely living in that day and age where people are exiting Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches to go to a church that is more geared towards entertainment. And uh, they're not enduring the sound doctrine. And they're forsaking the house of God. And we need to be aware of that. We are close to the catching away of the church. Now, in 1 Timothy, I'm going to read a couple verses here. Hopefully you found your place in Luke 16 because I will be preaching out of Luke 16. And I will, after I get through the introduction, I will be preaching on the reality of hell. And why I'm going to preach that is because, number one, it's been a while since I've actually preached on hell. But hell is a sound doctrine. Hell is real. Now, before I begin to preach and get into my um, introduction, I want to pray, and because once I get rolling, I'm going to roll. But I'm going to start this message with a real-life illustration to bring reality to what's going on in our churches today. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you, we love you. Lord, help us today. And Lord, we want to preach because your purpose was to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And so we're going to spend some time around the cross. But the cross confronts us about our sin. And the cross confronts us with the reality of hell. And we must spend time there, for it is sound doctrine. If there be any in here today that are lost, Lord, they need to be awakened to the reality of hell. That's the reason they must be born again, to escape this terrible place. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Years ago, and when I say years ago, I'm going back about 18 years, maybe 15 years. Th what I'm getting ready to tell you happened in a Bible-believing, Bible-Baptist church. And it was a church that I was part of. I was a young man. My father, my parents were there. They were like charter members. We were there when this particular pastor started this church. We were there when we bought a building, when we moved out of the storefront into a building there in Indiana. 
And I remember as that pastor, that was the same pastor that I got saved under when he preached on Behold the Lamb of God. But he was older, he was like a grandfather to me, and he passed off the scene right around, he was 70 years old. And there was another man who had been in the church that took that church. And he wasn't there but maybe 13, 14 years. And we were in another church working, and then when that uh, time was over, we had come back to work in that church, because that was the church that we were sent out in. And I remember nothing more shocking than being in a teacher's meeting that Sunday morning after church. And one of the issues that come up among the Sunday school teachers was they felt like that we as a church should no longer talk about hell, the reality of hell, that we should stop scaring our children and telling children in the Sunday school class and in the church about this place called hell. I was in that meeting. Of course, I took offense immediately, being one of the Sunday school teachers and a young preacher in that church. And I asked this question. I, I don't know why I asked this question, but I did. Because I knew those families. Those families had watched me grow up. The families that were now in this Sunday school class. And I had watched them as they raised their children. And they raised their children with the teaching that church was not a priority. Church was an option. So if you were involved in sports or whatever you wanted to do on a Sunday, that's what you went and done. And church was an afterthought if you had nothing else to do. And so as their children begin to struggle, they were only coming to church one time a week. And now they had grandchildren. And they were afraid. And the grandchildren were bringing visitors. And what was going on was the children, which were now adults my age, they begin to tell grandma and grandpa and the Sunday school teachers, if you don't stop talking about hell and the realities of a life hereafter, we're going to stop bringing kids to the church. Which sent a shockwave through those parents and grandparents because uh, we want our kiddies in church and we want them to... So we were having a meeting that morning about that. Now we weren't having a meeting about that whether we believed in hell or not. We were having a meeting... Because we think we, we thought, and when I say we, I mean they, thought that they needed to not talk about that. That's the negative. And I asked this question. I said, let me ask you all sitting here this morning. Do you celebrate Halloween? And of course, everybody, I was silent. I said, I'm waiting on an answer. And they all said, well, yeah. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, do you dress your kids all up in Halloween and, and scare them all at Halloween and take them to these haunted houses around here? And I knew they did because I had heard them tell the stories about it, laughing and hee-hawing, how they'd scared the grandkids and all that stuff. And they said, yeah. And I said, you didn't think that would warp them? And they said, well, no. I said, I, I think y'all got a problem here. Because now you're saying you're going to quit coming to church because we're going to still teach and preach on hell around here. And you're saying that might scare your little kitties. And they don't need to know about this place. Let me tell you something, folks. 
That was in a Bible-believing church. That's a problem. As I begin to talk to other pastors, of course, we didn't stay around there long. They had a Sunday school teacher, or there was a, a lady they had invited to teach to the ladies on Christmas that was shacked up with a boyfriend. They're going to have her teach and didn't think nothing was wrong with it. And I, I had enough, and I had to say something. And of course, we had to part ways. That's what we call in a Bible-believing Baptist church. And if it's going on in independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches, can you imagine where else it's going on? Now I'm going to read you a couple, of, and that is a true story, by the way, that I witnessed and my children witnessed when that phone call, because there was a phone call from that pastor later, and I put him on speakerphone because I couldn't believe my ears. Now, we got stronger for it. But I'm going to tell you something around here. We're going to keep preaching and teaching about this place called hell. Because it is sound doctrine. I'm going to read you a verse of scripture. And then I'm going to give you my thought on it. And then we're going to Luke 16. He says here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptation. That means this should be accepted in all churches. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy... That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. And he said if God could save him, God can save anybody. And I, I do want you to understand this this morning. That the purpose of the church is to edify the believer in the body of Christ. But number two, the mission of the church is to tell others about Jesus and to lead them into salvation. Christ saves, but we got to go and tell them. And everybody is a candidate. If you're a sinner, people get this concept. I can't go to church because I'm not perfect. Let me tell you something. This church here is not for the perfect. This church here is not for everybody that's got it all figured out. This church here is for sinners. This church here is for people that need a physician. This church here is for people that have problems and issues. That need some help and that need some edification from the Word of God in the body of Christ. And people need a pastor. And the difference between a pastor and a preacher is a pastor is a preacher God called that you will allow to have input in your life. That's what a pastor is. Some people don't want a pastor because they don't want any man of God's input in their life. 
Let me tell you something. We don't all have it figured out. Some of us are farther down the spiritual path than others. And we're here to help edify one another. But God has given a gift to the church, which is a pastor, an evangelist, and a teacher. And he wants you to have a man that is a pastor who's following Christ to have some input in your life. But he says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so he's talking about the preaching of the cross. It's necessary. That is our mission. But here's what the Bible says when you begin to preach on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 1, about verse 17, he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize. That's right, we don't overemphasize baptism. It does not save you. It is the first step in the life of a believer who wants to follow Christ. And it is necessary when I say for the life of a believer in obedience. But baptism does not save you. And that's why I said Christ sent him not to baptize. That's not the main focus. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The Bible said this message that you're going to take to the lost, they're going to view as foolish. There's going to be an offense to the cross. The preaching of the cross is offensive. And here's why it's offensive. Number one, the very picture of the cross the mention of the cross is it confronts man with his sin. That's why the cross is offensive. Because as soon as you see that symbol, as soon as the preacher begins to preach about the cross, it confronts the individual with his sin problem. But number two, the cross, it proves... That God punishes sin. God hates sin so much and he is against sin so much that he gave his only begotten son and used him as a sacrifice to atone for the sin debt of this world. You can't think about the cross. You can't think about heaven unless you've first been run through the pits of hell. Because after all, if God's okay with sin, why did he die? If there's a heaven, there's a hell. And hell is real. And that's why the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. People don't like it. But our problem is we got backslid Christians in our churches that don't even want to talk about hell. Because they think it scares the kiddies. Well, in this life, you're motivated by two things. Fear or love. And by the way, not every individual is alike. Some individuals you can motivate through compassion and love, and they will follow, they will do, they will obey. But some children, if you've had more than one child, you had to learn that love and compassion doesn't motivate them, but the fear of a whooping does. Discipline. 
And so if love and compassion and thinking about heaven does not motivate you to come to Christ, you must first then be run through the pits of hell. I think it was Vance Hanover that said, if he could take all of his church members and send them for one hour in hell, my, when they come back, what a mission-minded church that would be. Hell is part of sound doctrine. But the cross, not only does it confront man about his sin, not only does it prove that God punishes sin and can't look upon it, the cross demands a new lifestyle. It does not suggest it, it demands it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The cross, when you choose to believe in Jesus, it demands a new lifestyle. And that's what makes it offensive and people don't like it. But the cross, here's why it's offensive, is the only place it is the only place where God will meet the sinner. There is no forgiveness, there is no salvation until you meet Christ at the cross. I don't care who you are, where you live, how you think. And this world talks a whole lot about God is love. But let me tell you something, world. God will only meet you with His love at the foot of the cross. According to the Word of God. Now, let's take our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Because before we can talk about heaven, before we can talk about the new life, we must understand that God punishes sin and the cross proves that God punishes sin. And that punishment is an eternity in the hell. Now Luke chapter 16. This is a famous passage. Some theologians to try to soften the blow will tell you that this portion of scripture is a parable. It's not real. It was just a heavenly story or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's to be taken figuratively. And to those that are listening to my voice this morning, if you think this is a parable and it's to be taken figuratively, what are you trying to lessen? If you do not believe there is a literal hell right now this moment in the center of this earth, what are you to walk away from this parable, figuratively speaking? Because what you can't get around is if you deny Jesus and you reject Jesus and you reject His Word and you reject the Holy Spirit calling you, there is a place of torment. How do you walk away from that with a positive, fuzzy, warm feeling? This is not a parable. This is a true story because he says there in verse 19, there 
was a certain rich man. That means it wasn't any rich man. It was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar. Now a parable never uses proper names and he names this person Lazarus. This is why we know this is not a parable because this has a proper name. This really happened. And Jesus is telling you and telling this group of people here and anybody that would read this passage of Scripture that when you die without Christ, you will lift up your eyes in hell. Let's read on. He says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid in his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Let me tell you something. If you're saved in here this morning, if you're not laying out on the street begging for some crumbs with sores all over your body, then you are a blessed child of God today. Because this man was saved. This man had done nothing wrong. He was saved and when he dies, the angel carries him to paradise. But he was a beggar. He was laid at this man's gates full of sores and he was very hungry. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and I need you to catch this. You say, okay, what happens to me when I die? If you're saved, you're carried by the angels. Now into Abraham's bosom. We know because of Scripture, when Christ died, he went to the center of the earth and he led captivity captive. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians that paradise has been moved to the third heaven where God dwells. Why? Because the blood has been applied. And those Old Testament saints, they got the blood applied to their accounts and now they're in heaven. You can't get into heaven without God's blood. But watch what happens. And to Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. You say, well, what happens to a lost person when they die? Well, if it's God's angels that take the saved person... It stands to reason in good old-fashioned horse sense that demons will come and take you to hell. You say, I don't believe that. You've not spent much time around deathbeds then, haven't you? One of the most comforting things that you'll see is when a saint of God passes from this life into the other life and the angels are coming to take her. I've been at the bedside of a number of God's children as they passed off. They speak of seeing a river. They speak of seeing saved loved ones. They speak of seeing a city. They speak of seeing angels crossing that river to come and get them. You say you're making that up. That's how Sister Charlotte went out. Jen and I stood there by that bedside and listened to her as she talked about what she was seeing. And she was quoting Psalms 23, word perfect. She didn't even know we were there. And less than 20 minutes later, she was gone in the presence of God. But I've been at the bedsides of lost people. 
People that had spit at the mere sight and presence of a preacher. People that had worked against the pastor. And there they were, laying up in a deathbed at the hospital, trying to figure out what was going on with them, crying and screaming that there was fire touching their feet. And something was crawling up out of the woodwork that looked demonic, that was dragging them down into the pit of hell. Well, maybe they were on drugs, preacher. Maybe so. But the people that I've witnessed that said that, none of them knew each other, and they are all testifying of the same thing. When I talk to psychiatrists, they say they believe that drugs are gateways into things we can't see, That's why you don't need to play around and fool with mind-altering drugs. It'll drive you mad. There are things that you don't need to see with the natural eye. There are things that you do not need to comprehend that are in that spiritual realm. And I assure you that there is spiritual warfare going on this morning between God's angels and the devil's angels and God has a hedge around his people. God has a protection around his people. But if God were to lift that hedge up, those demons and devils could get at us. And if, boy, if our eyes were opened, it'd drive us literally mad. And I've been around some people that have played with drugs that didn't never quite come back from one of those trips. And they could describe things that they had seen And let me tell you something, I asked a psychiatrist about that. Now this guy wasn't saved. He says, let me tell you something. There's something to this preacher. He says, I compare notes with other psychiatrists. And these people, even though they don't know each other, they're testifying to seeing the same things when they open these gateways up and they begin to see into that spiritual realm and it drives them literally mad. And he says, it's had me take time to ponder, maybe I need to be born again. What I'm saying is if you're not saved and you die, it'll be the demons that come to take you and not God's children, and not the angels, the good ones. And he says, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him. Boy, he gets mission-minded here, don't he? This is a lost man. Sending to my father's house, for I've got five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, What what, what do you mean by that? He said, They got the word of God. If they won't believe the word of God, they, he said, Let's finish it. And he said, Nay, father, Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead and they will repent, 
He said to them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. He said, well, no, I don't believe that. Jesus rose from the dead. There's still a whole bunch of people that don't believe it. Don't tell me Abraham didn't know what he was talking about. But I want to point some things out to you. Hell is a place where the lost go. This rich man, he had it all in this life. He says, and in hell, he lift up his eyes. You see that lift up? That's present tense. That means he's still doing it today. He didn't say, and in hell, he lifted up. That would have indicated he might have perished by now and got burned up or annihilated. No, you will not be annihilated in hell. You will literally burn forever. Forever. There is a place called hell that people who reject Jesus, that's where they go. Hell is a place of torment. This is what this man testifies to. He says, and in hell, he says, I'm in torment. Like I said, if this is a parable, how do you want to explain this away? Because he's sure not talking about nirvana. He's not talking about an afternoon affair at the spa. He's talking about a place of torment. This is not something that's just in your mind. This ain't something that's just in the grave. Because some people come here and say, well, hell is the grave. Yeah, that's where the body goes. But there's also a place where the soul goes. And the soul, according to the Bible, is of the same shape as the body. And the soul, as we see here, it can feel. The soul can see. And the soul can cry. It has a voice. And it can feel pain. Hell is a place of consciousness. Oh, you're going to be aware of your surroundings. You'll have a body, you'll be able to see, and at this time, he could see across the way Abraham's bosom, paradise, with Abraham there and Lazarus. And he says, Father Abraham, that means he knew the scriptures. Because Abraham had lived more than 800 years before him, but he knew who Abraham was. You want to know why? Oh, he was familiar with the Bible. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, dip the tip of his finger in some water, for I am tormented in this flame. There's fire down there. There is a flame that will literally burn you to a crisp. And the Bible indicates that the longer you burn, the more worm-like you become. Jesus says, where their worm dieth not, Say, well, a worm don't have arms. They might have got burnt off. A worm don't have legs. They might have got burnt off. You burn for all eternity and see how that has an effect. Hell is a real place. Hell is a place of consciousness. You will be alive and awake. But hell is a place of remembrance. Because Father Abraham says, remember in your lifetime, remember you had it easy, Lazarus had it bad, and you thought everything was okay. So you will remember 
If you go to hell, you will remember throughout all eternity every opportunity that you had to accept Jesus and you refused. You will remember family and loved ones. You will remember people that are still alive that still think hell is a party. This man's not partying. But boy, he's sure mission-minded and he's sure praying because he says, I pray thee. Oh, he believed in prayer then, but it was just a little too late. He believed in missions then, it's a little too late. He believed in, boy, let's get this membership. Let's go take the gospel. We don't want nobody else to come here. You see why Vance Hanover said that? If he could take his church members and spend one hour in hell, they'd be better church members for it. I believe there's things that we cannot even describe in the English language that goes on down there. It's that bad. Hell, he says, has a great gulf fixed. And he says, even if we wanted to come to you to bring you some comfort, we can't. And even if you wanted to get out of hell and come over here to the good side, you can't. Now, Todd Gabbard theology, this is, I get this from the Bible because the Bible also talks about a place called the bottomless pit. I believe that's where the great gulf is. That's the bottomless pit. That's why he said, we can't pass over. We can't jump this ditch. We can't jump this creek. You know how when we were kids, we'd jump those little small creeks? We'd jump over that or we'd just walk through the water and get over on the other side. You won't walk through on the other side of this one because it doesn't have a bottom. Todd Gabbard theology, I could be wrong. You don't have to believe that. But as I handle the Word of God and study, it sure makes sense. And I do know that the bottomless pit is in the center of this earth. Because during the time of the tribulation, one of God's angels opens the door to the bottomless pit. And he says, those creatures, those man, long-haired, hippie-looking Creatures on locust bodies with tails of a scorpion come out and sting man for five months. Today they're in hell stinging those people and tormenting those people. There's a lot of evil things going on down there. He says that the devil, Apollyon, who is the king of the bottomless pit and the devil, he's down in there making sure that your torment is severe. And God's going to open him up. He comes marching out as the Antichrist. And people are going to love him because he's transformed himself into an angel of light. What I'm saying is the Bible is pretty clear that the bottomless pit is down there. And I think it's in that great gulf. Now, you can believe whatever you want on that, but as long as you believe there is a bottomless pit, because the Bible says for sure there is, there's a place called hell. And it's in the center of this earth. I remember being in Christian school when I was a kid. I'm going back even more. They made fun of me. I'm in a Christian school, people. And the teacher, she was the principal of the elementary school who taught one of our Uh, classes and we were in middle school she did not believe that hell 
was in the center of the earth. And she went to a Baptist church. And I challenged her on that. I was 12, 13. And I begin to get the scripture and show her where the Bible says hell is down. Hell is in the lower parts of the earth. And she looked at this young man and says, sir, you are wrong. And that Bible is wrong. That was in a Christian school, folks. I've been married 31 years, so that would have been close to 40 years ago. I'll never forget her name. Mrs. Hilly was her name. I hope she was saved. I don't know. But she says, if you can prove to me that hell is in the center of the earth, I'll give you a platform and let you give me the scripture. I started in, I went home, studied it out, and I had scripture over scripture over... The Bible mentions hell over 54 times. And that's not including the lake of fire, bottomless pit, places of torment. I got about to the fourth verse of Scripture over there in the Psalms and she shut me down. She wouldn't even, she wouldn't even allow or agree to uphold her end of the debate because she had no Scripture. All she told me and the whole class was, hell is not in the center of the earth. And so I asked her, where do you think hell is? She says, I'm not going to talk about it no more with you. Folks, that's in our Baptist churches. That's in our Christian. Not every Christian school is a good thing. You need to know what they're teaching. We're all the time picking the lesser of the two evils and can't figure out why we keep heading towards evil. Now, I believe Christian schools are important, but they need to be run right. And they need to be taught right. Hell is real. Hell has that great gulf. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I'll tell you why there's a great gulf. Because there's too many mothers and memes that would do whatever they could if they found their loved ones or their children in hell to try to go get them, to try to go take water to comfort them. And God said, nothing doing. It ain't happening. You will be physically and spiritually unable to cross that great gulf even in eternity. Memes, mommies, and papas, and daddies, if you're concerned, you don't want to see your children in the pits of hell, then you need to be telling them about Jesus today. You need to start taking church a little more serious because hell is real. And yes, the preaching of the cross is offensive because it confronts you, it confronts me, that we're sinners, it confronts us about sin, but it also confronts us about the reality of hell, and hell is real. Eternity is a long, long time. You, let me tell you something. The Bible says that the river of life, there's lots of different kinds of fish. You want to run and have entertainment? We've got all eternity to do that once we're in heaven. And by the way, I'll be fishing on Mondays over there. You can come with me if you want to. I want to catch some of those fish out of that river of life. God said they're there. I want to eat some of that fruit that, by the fruit trees that grow a different fruit every month along the banks of that river over there you say well I thought we were just going to sit around with a halo on our head playing a harp on a cloud you've been watching too much TV 
there's a whole lot of fun things that we're going to do over there. But right now is the time to take eternity serious. Right now is the day of salvation. And the only place you're going to meet God and take part of God's love is at the cross. But you're going to have to deal with this place called hell. And you're going to have to deal with this thing called sin. And that's what people don't like. Everybody wants to hear about heaven. Everybody wants to hear about the benefits of the Christian life. That God supplies all of our needs. And we're never losers. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors. But before we can get to being conquerors, we got to know that we are lost and undone and on our way to hell. And it's real. And if you don't want the demons to carry you down off when you die. And by the way, life is short. You can go out of here today and be involved in a car accident and be gone into eternity. You can wake up tomorrow and not be feeling quite right and go to the doctor and they'll tell you, you got days to live. It's more than a possibility. It goes on. It just happened to one of our family members. Feeling fine. Woke up one day. Things weren't right. Went to the emergency room. They said, you're not coming home out of the hospital. You're dead. You've got days. Get the family called in. Put your affairs in orders. He didn't live five more days and was gone. Life is short. Hell is real. And we're sinners. And Christ come into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful manifestation of God's love. But we got to meet Him at the cross. Let's all stand this morning.